welcome to another episode of Anonicast, a podcast where thoughts matter and judgments don't. A podcast where a group of individuals don't know each other, share their opinions about a particular topic. In this episode, we will be talking about hate speech. Okay, so hi everybody. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity and uh, dive right into the, into the topic. So uh, the first, the instantaneous thought that comes into my mind first thing after hearing a hate speech is how the right to freedom of speech is misused by a lot of us on one hand we have fir's being filed against students for chanting azadi on the other we have political leaders giving hate speeches despite what many of us seem to believe the freedom of speech guarantee in the constitution does not give us the right to say anything we want to to anyone we want and anywhere we want now the speech should not be in such a way that it aggravates or influences people to commit any kind of uh, let's say offenses that disturb the peace and order and creates a sense of hatred towards persons in the community now the article 19 section 1 of the constitution provides that the citizens shall have the right to freedom of speech and expression and in every democratic country where there are fundamental rights there are uh, let's say there are certain restrictions on them as well and that is what is specified under section 19 article 19 section 2 in which it says that the constitution authorizes the government to impose by law reasonable restrictions upon the freedom of speech and expression in the interest of public order now as a citizen of the country when we talk about our rights we often forget that we also have certain duties and responsibilities to which no one pays attention and often when miscreants try getting away using their rights as a citizen or when certain groups support these miscreants on the basis that even they have human rights i think they should focus on uh, the fact that if they are actually uh, fulfilling their uh, fundamental duties and responsibilities as a citizen towards the country although we most relate hate speeches to politics uh, there are various certain instances where with different sexual preferences are also getting hated upon by such people that's all i would like to say in the first half so uh, can i add to that so uh, basically i feel it comes down to uh, the entire debate comes down to what do you classify as a hate speech something that is hate speech for me can be a critique for someone else who who is who will decide that what hate speech is so we need to question that and as you said uh, like what happens is we already are a very diversified country and we have so many different backgrounds so much of history so maybe i uh, like i can quote a very simple example like how the entire debate blew uh, blew out of proportion about tiktok versus uh, youtube and the entire critique for uh, karimnati was that he used the word meetha or something like that or uh, even we you as uh, kids have used words like gay or uh, meetha in an offensive way but the thing is that are we empathetic enough to understand uh, 
why or what that person is saying or how is he saying that do we get the context because for a, a straight uh, cis man in this country who has not go- gone through that uh, has not gone through any uh, harsh uh, any harsh incidents or is not empathetic enough to understand what lgbtq community feels he in no way will consider that as hate speech so my question is how do we actually decide or who actually decides what hate speech is if that is in my interest it's not and if it's against my political opinions or my beliefs do i consider it as a hate speech so i think what the previous gentleman said made a lot of sense because hate speech by the very definition of speech and subjectivity itself is that is different for each and every person so it becomes very difficult to codify in a sense what should be right and what should be wrong and the moment you do that you're obviously going to have a lot of people disappointed and a lot of people happy so a really good way to observe this would be some of the universities out in the west i think university culture here in india is still brewing there's still a lot of development to go but out there in the west if you look at um, one of the right wing ideologues ben shapiro he planned on giving a speech at uh, the university of berkeley which is one of the most famous universities in the world and what happened was that a lot of people descended upon the university namely antifa and they made sure that he wasn't able to give the speech and saying that it was hate speech and using that as a justification they threatened him with his life which is exactly what is very concerning about the thing hate speech is that as much as it should uh, be controlled you can also use it as a tool to further your own agenda saying that you're accusing another person or another individual of hate speech itself the whole debate around discerning whether a particular speech is hateful should bring us back to the basic question of what purpose does language play in daily life right we understand the world and the way society itself is constructed through the use of language the way we differentiate one thing from another the whole way in which we conceptualize the world around is done through the use of language and it is this language that also gives rise to power structures within society so we have taken the examples of say lgbtq community there's a certain way in which society talks about lgbtq community certain words that are used for the lgbtq community and there are certain ways in which their existential position in society is is marginalized uh, using certain forms of language so in that case speech becomes very contextualized in the sense that uh, if if what if one tries to further the power dynamics within a society between any form that is marginalized between or 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 between between any group that is centralized and marginalized and tries to further this power disparity between these two groups using the form of speech that can be considered to be hate speech and i guess it, it I, this this helps us this approach helps us navigate between this dilemma quite better yeah i would like to i would like to add something is uh, when we talk about hate speech it's not only words that come out of our mouth it can also be something that's written down or something that's posted on uh, on twitter or on, or on facebook uh, one thing what you mentioned about the lgbt uh, people being offended by what people call them like uh, if they call them names or anything like that so in the pride parades that have taken place in india we've seen a lot of blasphemy in the pride parades uh, so there's something that we also need to talk about it's it's uh, there's there's hate from both the sides uh okay um so talking about the subjectivity of this concept at uh, and in a very broader sense i agree that it is very subjective and it can differ like what hate speech means to me will be very different from what it means to others but um i think as a society in general we can arrive at a consensus that it's just speech that carries um 
hatred for some group or a particular race especially when this kind of communication is likely to provoke some kind of violence is likely to provoke some kind of discrimination or when it threatens your life i mean if if somebody's speech is threatening to my right to liberty that does count as hate speech because liberty and equality like they'll go together but if your liberty to expression is threatening my equality as a citizen then that does count as hate speech also like somebody rightly pointed out the power dynamic i mean um, i understand that a lot of um, negativity or negative words might also be spoken uh, like you said in the pride parades or um, they might have posters which might which might not be very pleasant uh, to a heterosexual community um i don't really know if that counts as hate speech because because of the power dynamic that is at play i mean who is discriminating against who who is who is more likely to do this or who is the majority who is the minority also comes into play that's what i think so i'll just give an example of uh, what happened in one of the pride parades in mumbai is that uh, there was mm. there was a bunch of guys who were holding this poster saying mandir raj yahan nahi chalega हमें ब्राह्मण के रूल्स के हिसाब से नहीं जीना है the ceo of twitter had come down to india he was holding a placard saying smash brahmanism now when you realize that a huge amount of people in india are brahmins and a lot of them haven't actively played any role in the subjugation of lower caste and probably don't even believe in a caste system that makes it makes you think that this is all the more problematic because when a ceo of the biggest free speech platform in the entire world is going ahead and taking a side in this debate it just makes everything all the more murky now that's the first thing i wanted to say the second thing is i really like what one of the previous gentlemen said about uh power structures permeating in society always so i think that comes from the work of certain french philosophers like foucault like derrida and like lacan and they said these are postmodernist uh, philosophers what they said is that language is what helped us colonize the world initially but now it's language that colonizes us itself so when you're talking about hate speech in this particular context it's so easy as one of y'all said to use for example words associated with an lgbtq person like every third person on the road uses a word like hijra when they see someone who's not conventionally masculine and it's sad definitely but are we as a society educated or in millennial words woke enough to understand that this is incorrect that we can go ahead and legally reprimand someone legally i'm not saying morally uh tell them that this is wrong but hate speech in a legal sense is something that would have implications like you having to answer in a court of law ideally it's subjective in our heads but in the truest sense in its definite reality it's something that can land you in a world of trouble are people especially in our society sensible enough or educated enough to go ahead like this uh i personally do not think that to say that smash brahmanism patriarchy or smash communism or to say Say that uh, we live in a Brahminical society is constitutes as hate speech. Neither does it constitute war against the heterosexual community because no, because uh, nobody is ever killed to be heterosexual, right? Heterosexual people do not face the kind of discrimination that homosexuals do, and there is no. Re- I do not need to substantiate this claim 
simply because it is not illegal for somebody to be heterosexual in any country whatsoever however it is illegal or to 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 it, it is illegal and marginalized for somebody to become homosexual in a particular country secondly we live in a brahmanical system we live in a system where we, we, we live in a society which is where, where even the the distribution of resources that is occurring at a national level becomes testament to the fact that around 55% of our resources are hoarded by upper castes and upper classes in that case it is not wrong to say to rebel against the system and say that this is a system that is based on certain ideals that the constitution of this india rejects and 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 it's it's not hateful to say that at all this is the groundwork of dalit poetry and this is the groundwork of dalit movement altogether if you read say poems by namdev dasal who is a great dalit activist and he has spent all his life uh, talking and fighting for the causes of the upliftments of the lower caste and he was also by the way the founder of the dalit panther party he his his poems used to be angry his poems used to be abusive you can't constitute that as hate speech because he was he was rebelling against a system that has constantly marginalized it has constantly oppressed and has constantly sidelined members of this community and this has happened structurally this is something that is sanctioned theologically and within the existence of society this is this 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 power dynamics something that it, it has become ingrained and therefore when something as ingrained as this needs to be revealed it needs to be revealed in a way that jostles the world around and and this is why not all speech can be put under a similar lens in my opinion correct calling out hate is does not make it hate speech you can um, apply karl popper's idea of the paradox of intolerance to this i mean it can extend to this as well that just because i mean being intolerant towards somebody who is intolerant is required you can't tell me that i'm like in general intolerant because i didn't tolerate somebody else's intolerance so calling out hate does not make it hate speech it needs to be done this is i mean brahmanical patriarchy needs to be fought against so you can't that systemic oppression needs to be fought against so that can't become uh, anybody's idea of hate speech because a system that rests upon the discrimination and oppression of um, a certain group of people it needs to be called out since we are talking about the lgbt community i would like to bring up another instance where uh, like not related to lgbtq community but related to politics more of and how the media plays a, such an important role in politics about how they show the particular news so for instance you all might know about swara bhaskar the actress slash activist who had been very vocal critic of uh, the citizenship amendment act and nrc now she was campaigning against the bill saying that nrc has a lot of provisions that are very horrifying for the citizens of the country especially muslims but uh, in a news debate it was found out that uh, draft of the nrc bill is not even prepared for her to even comment and share all her personal opinions about what the nrc bill could be and uh, the way the media spread it amongst the viewers saying that spreading hate amongst the viewers and actually not focusing on the fact that the bill the draft is not even ready yet and it is not even related to the nrc of assam that is applicable there all right no so my only contention here is that we are um, obviously examples are very helpful but they're not uh, descriptive of the entire picture so we are going to have to steer away a little bit from using um, individual examples and all our examples thus far have been relevant uh, closely to india other than the the lgbt one 
so looking at hate speech as an entire picture itself so one of um, our friends here clearly said that being intolerant towards someone who's intolerant is not just my right but it is righteous and i agree with that but then again there's entire ideal of subjectivity that you think that the other person is intolerant can each and every person who is crying out intolerance on someone else's part substantiate that that person is indeed intolerant because the moment you do grant that uh, freedom to them then they have every right to act in which uh, means that they deem uh, appropriate and that's exactly what you're seeing today so right now a terrible incident of police brutality yet another one which just happened recently in uh, minneapolis i think and now you're seeing a lot of people of color descending upon um, small businesses descending upon police stations and just torching everything destroying everything and a lot of people are coming out in support of this saying that this is the only way to protest and this is not hate this does not on their part construe hate but here's my entire problem with this is that that doesn't work this way simply because the people whose property you're torching the people who you are subjugating in uh, means of your protest have nothing to do with it for all you know they support your cause so there has to be a clear cut boundary because there have to be legal implications after some point it can't just be oh no this is wrong this is right that works fair and well amongst the four five of us on an internet podcast but where do you draw the line saying that boss this is what is right and this is what is wrong is what my question is to you all which would even help me understand better so i would like to add uh, the entire conversation what we are having right now or even what you said comes down to the fact that we see things as binary we want yes or no zero or one so we Correct. don't we just want to finally come with the outcome people don't want to indulge or don't want to think beyond a point that what actually the root cause is and that is the problem we just want immediate answers we just want immediate responses and uh, like we, we are talking about uh, hate speech and uh, as he said that we have two sections the section one that gives us the right of expression and right of freedom but then again there is a section 2 of the 19 article 19 that uh, allows the state to curb it in a certain way so that it doesn't go it doesn't go against the constitution and the entire point uh, that the debate has to is about freedom of expression is coming from the fact that at the end if we are giving someone to decide who what is right and what is wrong it will be it will be the government who will be deciding and taking the call and right now there might be a certain government who has certain ideologies and he, that government will form the uh, form the rules and regulations according to their principles and but in new uh, but uh, as you know the government will change and uh, a new new thought or new mindset will come into picture and they would be against it so to overall it cannot the rights and the regulations can't change time to time according to the government that's why uh hate speech at the end is only considered to be hate speech or a criminal offense if it has an immediate repercussion if the person or the uh, if the per- person speaking in that common domain suppose says uh, we have to kill that person suppose i'm uh, taking a very extreme example if in he in his speech he says that this person needs to be killed and if that person actually gets killed then it is a hate speech what i have understood while i was studying about the topic and and it's not a hate speech until he's just said it and nothing is done in that case agreed so that is genuinely a little terrifying right as a citizen that you don't know after which point at least for us okay fine we're educated we have that privilege we know what to say and what not to say and who to and who not to 
but for a lot of people that those lines don't exist it's very blurry especially in a developing country it's insanely blurry what is appropriate and what isn't so please add on to that no i mean um uh categorizing any criticism to her as hate speech is not something that i would agree with uh which is why i know that lines are blurred but then um we should also understand that hate speech is something sort of like a starting point in a chain of marginalizing and putting a particular section of people or even one definitely. person under threat so if there is some consequence of that kind then that definitely counts under hate speech and protecting such kind of hate speech in the in the garb of freedom of expression will lead to the violation of principles on which our democratic country is built upon so you know this is what we don't want like inciting communal tensions or something like that which is going to have which is going to threaten somebody's existence would definitely count as hate speech although it becomes a little bit little uh, less of an extreme i mean um if when we talk about uh, threatening somebody's existence maybe that is objectively what hate speech would mean but when we are talking about um f- from the perspective of the oppressor to somebody who is being oppressed then definitely we need to like consider even smaller lesser versions or less threatening versions of these to be problematic and to be called out because there is a definite power dynamic at play and somebody has an advantage over the other person and has the capacity to turn this and trigger uh, a chain of events which may have very undesirable consequences so with with recent revelations that have been going on in the country with the canrc protests so there is there is something that we need to realize the difference between constructive criticism and hate so in 2014 narendra modi he said that he would not scrap manrega because he wants to mark that manrega as a failure for the indian national congress so when he said something in the parliament there were a lot of leftists if i may who termed that as hate speech so the, the there's another point which i would also make, like like to make is that when we call somebody a leftist or when we call somebody a bhakt we are we are uh, we are uh, blocking the communication so there's no communication we just, we've just tagged people as who they are and then definitely definitely and then we do not have any way forward because we've put somebody in a bracket i think so the problem also comes from the fact that we are talking about uh, freedom of expression but no one is ready to listen at the end we all just want to say our point and prove it no one wants to understand why that other person is saying that it's just all adds up to a noise at the end Agreed. like all opinions like the, the middle ground the people who are in the middle just get deafened by the noise and don't understand what uh, actually is going on since we've had like a good few minutes of discussion now uh just to add some shape to this conversation i think we've come to um decent amount of consensus on two things the first of which i believe is and please correct me if i'm wrong is that sometimes one man's hate speech can just be another man trying to rebel against some form of oppression or the other and the second is that we do all believe that there is a root cause to all of this which binary thinking does not let us see sometimes do we have some amount of consensus on that agreed yeah that is very broadly, true broadly yeah so that that does make sense right so coming to the root cause point which one of my friends um rightfully said i think the problem is a lot of us do see in binary and some of the most enlightened philosophical works end up um critiquing this binary thinking like if you read nietzsche's um beyond good and evil the whole thing is about deconstructing this entire binary field of thinking 
and that is a very important and b the second point is the root itself now i would not be wrong in any terms if i said that certain literature religious literature itself and in fact a lot of religious literature for that matter and a lot of key figures in the development of religion and the development of large societal constructs have been in no uncertain terms hateful to further their cause so when you end up following such ideologies and that is pertinent even today those people yes had a huge macro effect ended up influencing billions but today even when it's a minor religious or political leader who says something hateful do you when you subscribe to such beliefs end up being a proponent of hate speech definitely i mean um, if you look at yogi adityanath's entire political career has been built on mm. such speeches that he has given and uh, to consolidate the largely hindu vote bank in uttar pradesh so and uh, and, and the thing is this, this this kind of hate speech it 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 tries it 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 occurs at one point in the sense that the speech is given at a particular place however the way it travels across the country the way it travels across the consciousness of people i think it's it in in one way people do when they subscribe to such form of hate speech also become propagators of hate speech and that vocabulary starts getting internalized and something that is highly 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 problematic and the anurag yeah, please, please. in uh, during the ca nrc protest had lent hmm. out a slogan saying that desh ke gaddaro ko goli maro saro ko so he would say desh ke gaddaro ko from the podium and everybody from the crowd would yell and say goli maro saro ko so how does one talk about this how how what is this kind of bloodlust that people have within themselves now we spoke a lot about the rioting that is occurring from the black community but here in india itself we have a certain idea of hindutva which is dominating our political discourse and it is trying to reproduce this domination through such chants how does one talk about this thing definitely yes. so i think within this example which you've given i think there is a very good lesson lying within it itself is that every single incident of hate speech which we end up to identify every single prominent incident happens to be a case of action and reaction so when you're talking about yogi adityanath speeches now a lot of them happened at a time when you explore the context was when there was a lot of bride kidnapping of hindu girls by um muslims in certain hamlets in uttar pradesh and the problem was he could not do anything about it because he was a not at par and b the government which was at par the samajwadi party government had widely not just been accused but can perhaps even be substantiated of playing a lot of minority cards and really appeasing certain sections of uh, society so as a result of that there were speeches if i believe i think went something like if you uh, kidnap one of our person then we will kidnap 100 of yours if you kill one of us we will kill 100 of you and so on and so forth so i think each and every incident da is happening in this completely ceaseless chain of action and reaction and at the end of it you can't really put a finger on it and say that this is where it becomes hate speech i think that's the chief problem lying out here you can't identify the root because is the root the fact that um, certain sections of society believe in scriptures which do uh, propagate warfare which do propagate uh, xenophobia or is the root the fact that a prominent leader goes on to a podium and says that if you kidnap one we will kidnap 100 so that's where the entire problem lies in my opinion there's one more thing to add to this is let's keep uh, yogi adityanath's speeches aside but then when we look at it there are, there are some there are some slogans which which are also seditious tukde tukde uh, slogans azadi slogans during the protests what do they mean like I, if if people are shouting azadi how much more independence really would one want from an already independent country <laughs> so what i feel is this is 
exactly a chain of events that keeps on happening again and again so there's a cause there's an effect and all the causes have effects and that chain continues and what i feel most often is that these political parties and this is solely my personal view that these opposition parties intentionally associate with people who can back answer to the hate comments by say the opposition party if they have uh, given any hate speeches in the past and in order to answer them in their own language it is why the political parties associate with such people who can back answer to them in their own language they're baiting basically you could term this in a sense of political baiting where you're just associating with people for the sake of it you're forming blocks for the sake of it with people who will go ahead and not just say something that uh, provokes a reaction but something that is almost legally wrong or seditious like the bharat tere tukde honge etc etc and very often this is not even the people from kashmir saying it and that's exactly what happened after article 370 and everything uh, went on they said that today everyone is talking about kashmir but no one's talking about kashmiris and it's the same case with tibet which was annexed by china with crimean peninsula which was annexed by russia very often it's not the voices from there that are being heard it's completely unrelated voices who are crying out for some sort of magical justice which affects people in a far away land and does not even affect them to begin with now i'm not uh, attacking their right to do so but i'm just trying to examine their intentions in doing so because it's very murky the entire way I, that uh, the cnrc protest went about and even the protest that jnu before prior to clf cnrc out even before that there have without a doubt been some very disgusting cases of certain slogans being shouted and certain protests having been undertaken and people go on to defend that is the sad thing and that's my um, penultimate point is that you if you belong to a certain political ideology and invariably 9 out of 10 people do you belong or subscribe to a certain side whether left left or right or wherever you want to you end up defending these people just because they belong to the further side or to the extremist side of your wing you end up defending these people which is the entire problem with uh, how hate speech permeates and how deeply it permeates in a society is that i am more prone to defending such kind of people just because i subscribe to the ideology vis a vis the jnu issue the whole issue that had occurred regarding bharat tere tukde honge i feel i think there is a cbi report which had falsified those videos as doctored Uh, I don't know much about that. I read a report from India today, which stated that those reports were no. So, so basically, uh, they they washed away they washed away Kanaya Kumar's um, this thing involvement in it. But the protest did still happen, and the slogans were still shouted and painted all over campus. However, the people who the government accused, you know, like they just pick up a poster boy and you try and vilify them, which does happen yeah, yeah, very yeah. often, regardless of the government. So, yeah. I think he was not directly involved, but it did still happen in truth. All right. Okay. but the video that they did uh, put out i mean the news channel which started is was definitely proven to be a doctored video if yeah definitely that, the first yeah, yeah, one yeah. the first one which showed him which i think showed kanaiya kumar himself at the hem of the and again not to digress that one was absolutely but again not to digress what we're trying to realize is that this takes this entire conundrum takes a lot of conscious effort and education and not just education but targeted education in this particular aspect that what you're doing is not right just because it might further your cause but in albeit a more violent way does not mean it's right so if i belonging to xyz political affiliation see someone uh, furthering their cause through slightly more uh, overbearing means i should not be prone 
to allowing them to do so and should in fact play an active part in making sure it does not happen and vice versa for the other political affiliation which might stand as a polar opposite to me correct but does uh, furthering your political agenda count as hate speech i mean coming back to something that somebody said uh, earlier does uh, shouting for azadi make it hate speech i mean what's wrong with demanding freedom no matter in what context i can be completely free but still be demanding freedom how is how is that wrong forget being hate speech how is that even wrong to begin with 100% so the azadi slogans i don't believe that there's a problem with that particularly i think it's a movement which it got associated with and the fact that these slogans were like you know when you have azadi in fact azadi even became a very popular song in i think gully boys extended album so i don't think the azadi slogan per se was the problem here but i think it was slogans such as bharat tere tukde honge etc and i think the afzal guru one was what really got under the skin of the majority consciousness in the country i think that's really what got the people uh so i think that's definitely part of the problem and another thing is that you have people completely going ahead and furthering this so this was one side but you have political party representatives and members of vidhan sabhas and lok sabhas going ahead and endorsing this so recently i think in bombay itself in the bandra area there is uh, an mla i think varis patan or someone and when the ca entire thing was at its boiling point and bombay thankfully didn't have any violent protest this joker is going ahead and saying that if you kill 50 we'll kill 100 and the same nonsense just happens again and again manufactured in a different tone of rhetoric so i think so the entire thing comes from the fact how we have our mentality or how we set our mindsets we have been taught Definitely. like Definitely. when i come to a discussion uh, me like when people have these kind of discussions they don't come from the a uh, fact that they want to test their ideologies or see okay if i can be wrong somewhere and i'll modify it it comes from the fact that i have to any at any cost defend my ideologies defend my stand as someone said that uh, no matter what if you get uh, associated with one category you even uh, try to defend the extremist action that they take and try to shun the other side so i think so the entire thing comes uh, down to that we are not good listeners and we don't want to we do like people sitting in bombay commenting about the entire article 370 without even knowing what actually happens in kashmir or having zero uh, having like just have read, have been reading some articles on online uh, form an opinion and try uh, and feel that they are uh, ed- educated enough or they have the right enough to speak so uh, like though they should have their freedom of expression but they should also like we should draw a line that where we understand that our what we are speaking is, is it having any consequences or are we have are, are we well researched enough to have opinion on that fact i think i would like to add upon the fact that you talked about um, ideology so and uh, portray how the ideology and the mindset of our political leaders have changed uh, from past to right now so back in uh, 1994 when there was this geneva wherein uh, pakistan was going all out uh, to get india labeled as human rights violator in jammu and kashmir the then prime minister narsimha rao of the congress party hand picked atal bihari vajpay who is the head of bjp who was then the head of bjp and he hand picked him a leader of the opposition party in order to head the indian delegation at the un human rights commission session so now this is the spirit of demo- democracy which leads to the development and the unity of a country as a whole and i think that is what has changed right now and the oppositions right now just 
oppose because they have to even if they don't have concrete uh, substance agreed so now i think we could definitely say that political discourse is no more pluralistic especially in this country because i think there's a battle for the soul of india currently ongoing regardless of what we what side we choose to take i think there is a very definite uh, turning point in this country's cultural fate which is going to happen so i don't think political discourse is civil anymore it's more of name calling it's more of vitriol etc etc and now that we have touched upon that i want to bring a really um, interesting example to you all so i'm pretty sure that all of you all are aware of the problem that uighur muslims are facing in china they're being systematically persecuted in a way that no one deserves to be but the chinese government has come out with justifications for the same as in chinese officials in and around the uighur region have gone around to say that they are now planning to ban the quran for xyz reason now mainstream media will tell you there's xyz reasons but then you happen to go around and explore it and you do realize that there are problems with a lot of religious texts because in no uncertain terms does the quran in certain of its surahs uh tell you that the vilest of the animals in the entire world are people who don't believe in the quran and why would that not so hatred in the minds and in the hearts of certain people and is the chinese government then recognizing this very real uh verse of hate and not just one multiple of them in its rights to go ahead and try to edit or ban said document and this is not just pertinent to this example but just as an umbrella example of the state trying to control certain things that we perceive as freedoms which might not indeed be freedoms i think invoking the example of china itself would be very antithetical to our discussion given that the only space where you debate free speech is a space that promises you free speech today the fact that we're having a discussion what constitutes as hate speech and till what extent is one allowed to speak freely it happens under the assumption or under the umbrella of the broader rights and freedoms that has been accorded to us by the constitution of india something similar correct. is not present within china so i don't see the, the chinese constitution correct example altogether yeah no because it does i think in my opinion i understand your apprehensions about it but it's very pertinent to the fact of hate speech because they've gone on and done something no government has done before and taken a militaristic stance on not just uh, islam but a lot of different religions or rather blanket term religion itself discouraging and actively disparaging places of worship as an official government stance saying that this might lead to discord within the country and etc etc and again i'm not saying that both of these things are related but at the same time you notice that china has on the chinese mainland i'm not talking about hong kong but on the chinese mainland they now have the fewest cases of say domestic terrorism or of insurgency and it's insanely easy for the chinese government when you have united people under a single national fabric to go ahead and undertake any of their economic or industrial programs and i'm not making a conclusion here i'm just saying that it's very important to examine how um identifying sources of hate speech the root cause which we all agreed upon initially when you've found the root cause all because it might hurt someone are we not justified to take that root cause out right uh, on on this i would like to just add in a point uh, so there was this one recent interview uh, that was uh, subramaniam swami on vice so in which oh, yes absolutely yes he was asked the interpretation of article 14 in which he says that muslims are not equal so uh, the we need to actually need to go back, back to the root cause of uh, such a huge political influencer who is saying that one religion is not equal but was the video again and now we are again playing on examples i think um, in fact subramaniam sami just as of 3 days prior to this day we're speaking he's gone ahead and sent out 
a notice of the United Nations because the United Nations Under Secretary Adama Dieng went ahead and posted this video saying that XYZ leader in India is doing XYZ nonsense. And when you see the video in that form and shape, which Vice edited and doctored, which has been proved because Vice has done this on multiple occasions before. As a news agency, they are highly notorious. So Subramanian Swami uh, prepared a legal statement and he's already posted to the UN saying that if he does not get a reply within a week and his original interview is not shown and this misleading version is shown, then he will definitely take criminal action against the person who went ahead and tried to prosecute him in uh, The Hague. So when uh, there's, there's another thing that I would also like to get to uh, the discussion is that when our constitution guarantees us freedom of speech and expression, so how can freedom be subject to something? Who decides what is an offense? Who decides when would somebody's religious sensibilities be offended? Correct. But I think that's the reason we have such... And I, I have faith in the Indian judiciary, definitely. I'm not saying it's perfect. I think it definitely has a lot of improvements and strides to make. And it should be more independent of the executive and uh, the legislation. But at the same time, I still think it's definitely better than a lot of other countries. And I think that's where we have to pose our faith into. That's where we put our faith. That when you ask the question that who ends up deciding what sensibilities are offended and what are not and what is right and what is not, I think there is the Supreme Court. And when you study law, it also becomes really evident to you how they go about this. So you have a precedent system wherein if they have ruled in a speech of hate of in a case of hate speech earlier that said so and so thing can be considered as hate speech, then I think we have a very good benchmark of trying and understanding at least what our legal and definite reality of hate speech is in this country. So I think answering that question would require us to understand that. Also just arriving at a consensus that my right to life, that is article 21 of the constitution is much important, much more important than your uh, oh, right to freedom of definitely. expression. Right. So even in like, if we were to take an example that if uh, our country suppo supposedly goes in a state of emergency, they're going to dissolve freedom of expression, but not right to life. So we definitely know what is more important and we can arrive at what would count as um, in like something that is interfering with my right to life. It would be simple yeah, so to categorize that as a violation. Yeah, we have a legal hierarchy here. So that is, I think, safe to say we know what our first right is. And I think that's a basic thing that obviously a right to life is going to supersede any other right that we presently have. So we can at least draw our line as a result of this discussion and not the definite one, but beginning from here. That when something impinges on literally your right to live, like when I think uh, Asaduddin Ovesi's younger brother said something about going out and killing a lot of uh, majority populists, whatever, whatever. I think that would definitely construe as hate speech. If that can be our first conclusion from this first conclusion about this particular thing where we are trying to define what hate speech is according to us. I just want to add on that although we want all the rights to ourselves, we most often don't fulfill our responsibilities to, as a citizen to uh, what I said earlier. And like we all discussed about the certain issues and instances where we saw hate speeches. So would you all like to maybe provide some insights as to how this can be reduced? Maybe through using social media where we are also uh, so, active on yeah. and it is the new 21st century thing. Yes, so uh, what I feel is 
it's important to share stories because stories at the end of the day make us more empathetic we have so much of hate or like in sixth in uh, like when we were kids there was this notion like justin bieber is gay or things like that and we all used to uh, indulge in those kinds of comment because he might have uh, have a feminine voice and things like that yes, but as I you grow that. and you read you read about stuff you understand the things better you automatically become more empathetic you can't expect people to be empathetic towards everything but obviously mm-hmm. as soon as we start uh, sharing our stories uh, it, it automatically breaks that stigma like we have ish, uh, like we frown or we as soon as we see a trans person we frown or we behave in a different way because that's what we have been taught to do we have never seen a uh, actual representation of trans person on a big screen so as soon as we start normalizing things and normalizing uh, these kind of behavior like normalizing uh, normalizing in sense the, the good the kind more, of behavior. i see a representation yeah i see uh, normalizing in a good way good sense uh, the more i see representation the more normal it becomes and that entire root cause automatically starts to reduce and i think, I think now justin so. bieber has a lot of mm-hmm. more fans than mm-hmm. uh, what he had yeah. earlier absolutely yeah <laughs> definitely so that i think so we can agree that it's definitely representation plays a very good part in this entire exercise if you can show people that every transgender you see is not the transgender you saw at a traffic signal trying to sell you a pair of uh, mogra garlands and not that they are anything wrong and not that they don't deserve respect but these same transgenders can go ahead and build an exceptional life for themselves i think that kind of representation this transgender just being one example but about all marginalized groups could be a very good example i think to go ahead representation would be a beautiful way to deal with this one of the many ways we all took a responsibility to learn more about even things we don't agree with or um, listening to opinions that they don't um, match with ours would be a good step and being more uh, open to dissent i mean being more open to criticism as long certainly, as certainly violating your rights be open to you know somebody calling you out on something even if even if you don't agree to it and um, like somebody said like you know share your story share what you come across because that's the way you know you are maybe going to um, evoke some empathy in other people as well as yourself um while we do that we should also be able to do that for things we don't necessarily agree with or things we don't identify with so only uh, things that are pressing to me is not something that i should be focused upon mm-hmm. if i can have the same like apply the same logic apply the same um ideas that i have to somebody i don't agree with and be equally willing to share their stories as well then i think we have a way to go just adding upon what she said is really beautiful is that if it would be so so good if we detached our ego from everything we believe and treat what you believe just as a piece of information which could have been passed on to you over generations which you could have picked up from a systemic form of uh, ideology feeding it could be anything and when you've detached your ego from what you believe then it's so much easier to accept dissent yeah but i think you know i mean it is easier said than done obviously in a agree, country like agree, india where absolutely there are like so many people with different point of views it is really very difficult to reach a consensus regarding anything literally and uh, so maybe we as the younger generation 
can spread the view that we should be more acceptable to other point of views of the other people and not just criticize them because they don't agree to us i had one question so what would you pick being right or being effective context matters a lot here right i think it's we need uh, yes context exactly having a blanket statement like that yeah i i get your point but uh, in uh, my sense is like do you think like a person should be a good person or uh, like you should do good actions or good deeds uh, is what is what more important like what is more important being a good person or actually I think doing good things i think basically you can be wrong just that you're, you you just you should just try to consciously not hurt someone's uh, sentiments and just respect them for how they are correct it would be a little difficult to do that because sometimes given that we've examined a lot of different root causes here people's sentiments are very often in direct opposition to your sentiments which is why this entanglement becomes very difficult so it can't be a blanket thing and i understand that it's it's a very important uh, juxtaposition which he has presented but it has to be examined more closely in the sense that if there are two things you have an option a that do you go ahead and tell this person that for xyz reason they're wrong and you upset the person in the process or do you just keep your mouth shut and agree with it i think it matters on what the consequence is is you keeping quiet going to help that person establish a sense of decency for his cause and that is if the cause is respectable in and of itself firstly and secondly is the degree and intensity to which the person is expressing their sentiments because sometimes a person expressing their sentiments can be a kashmiri separatist asking for the destruction of the indian republic and sometimes it can just be that same kashmiri asking for more fundamental civil rights and that is why this can't be a blanket statement and i think it requires more careful consideration so there's another thing about about free speech uh, in the united states the supreme court has repeatedly ruled that hate speech is legally protected as free speech under their first amendment and uh, whereas in india right now there have been a lot of movies uh religiously uh, uh, a lot of movies which have harmed a lot of religious uh, groups uh, there have been a lot of books there have been a lot of songs there have been a lot of uh, tweets or even a facebook post about bala saheb thakre which was which was uh, taken down and the later and later the girl was taken into custody so should should hate speech be protected by uh, the constitution of india i think no, as I, far as hate speech is concerned and it gives uh, it gives scope to constructive criticism it should be acceptable but if it really right. hurts sentiments it should be really uh, i mean there should be proper provisions as to how i mean what constitutes as a hate speech and who is getting hurt and what is the in- intensity of that matter when you're saying that um, when you say constructive criticism i think just by the nature of the two words constructive and criticism you can't construe it as hate speech i will go on a limb and say that if it genuinely is constructive criticism said in a respectful manner asking a bunch of questions based in rooted in logic and genuine uh, curiosity then you can't construe it as hate speech plain and simple i agree kunal kamra also said mm-hmm. that yes, what what the incident happened on the flight he said that he was well within yeah. his rights to do what he did so wasn't that hate in a way that in front of a huge audience that you're calling somebody uh, names you're maiming them and uh, so is that, is yeah, that free speech you're calling them so many things i don't think that's free speech because 
the constitution's articles don't exist in isolation firstly they exist in codependence and interdependence amongst themselves so when you're going up to someone's private space and encroaching that and using language which is far from respectful and far from constructive and far from the tone of curiosity but bordering upon the uh, on the tone of disparaging an individual then that's not your free speech that is very close to hate speech and probably is hate speech depending on who you ask i think he was trying to uh, you know con- uh, communicate that his personal views upon him as a journalist yeah and not particularly i i, I mean i wouldn't think of it as a hate speech it was just his uh, personal views on that particular calling thing. out hate is does not make it hate speech i mean for somebody who yeah. uh, is like hating upon a certain community day in and day out every day of his life has built an entire career out of it calling him out for that is not hate speech definitely definitely it's the manner it's the manner in which you go about it right it's not hate speech in no ways is it hate speech but is it grossly inappropriate to violate someone's okay yeah of course i would agree yeah, that it could yeah, have been done in a better way it's hate speech hate speech definitely not like i'm not going to, that's that's a bit crazy to say it's hate speech but is it genuinely very inappropriate and does it set an insanely dangerous precedent that when you see a public figure you disagree with you just go and yell and spit in their face and call that them seven eight different abusive and derogatory words no i don't think that's the standard that anyone wants in any sane society correct i do not think arnab goswami is just another person you disagree with uh, as a, in the realm of public public figure you disagree with because i i think i think as a person who goes on prime time every night and use the kind mm-hmm. of hatred that he does and the fact that he is close to the regime and is largely protected by his by his masters in the government and in the ruling party this can be evidenced by the fact that a he has been given by category level security while there are journalists dying every day doing sensitive stories and are being okay. tortured to death by members of uh, different political parties altogether mm-hmm. given that the fact that arnab when he went to supreme court in his case the fact that he got a hearing at 10 o'clock in the morning when he filed for his petition around 8 pm at night shows that arnab goswami is just not any other person and i don't think in such cases going through a legal route or going through a civilized sense of approach matters because i think this is where calling somebody out needs to occur and so you would agree that this is fine so according to you, according to you it's completely fine if i see someone i and again it's you personally disagree with arnab goswami to that extent or said person disagrees with him to that extent now tomorrow if another person disagrees with swarab askar or kanaiya kumar equally and now that's not just these individuals it can be literally anybody you disagree with it's not just reckless but is borderline insane to not defend to go on and defend such actions but to say that hey this is fine because what you do when you do that is you normalize it and you set a precedent because it's subjective who you see and how you perceive subject it's completely subjective so when another person goes ahead and does the same thing to say a swara baskar or a kanaiya kumar or a rahul gandhi when they see them in a public sphere then there'll be insane you and cry and halabalu about the whole thing and then tomorrow you're going to have anyone and everyone doing this and then no one's sanctity in a public sphere is going to be protected at all so this i think is completely uncalled for and not it is just not safe to begin with changes on any i wouldn't agree that it's uncalled for but i would agree that it does set a dangerous precedent and i don't want um, pe- people going ahead and doing that um, time in again and if um, so i, and I would agree that this would have been I done was, in a much better way for sure 
what i also feel is the problem that what i was saying that people don't listen to other side or people don't have don't have the uh, uh, capacity to listen is also coming from the fact that our algorithms don't allow to uh like you can see my recommendations and you can see other some other person's recommendation on this panel Absolutely. and you will complete uh, get to see that why this polarization is there because people sitting at the top want to want to have this polarization they that's their way to win the power it so feeds them it feeds them commercially and i think yeah barack obama had done a very beautiful interview on this and it was so cool like i genuinely appreciate what he said so he told um, i think david letterman or somebody that if you're a person belonging to the left side of the political spectrum and you type a small town's name in egypt you're going to get hotel recommendations but if you're a person who's google right wing and visited right wing pages before and then you google the same town's name you're going to get a list of terrorist attacks performed by extremist muslims in that area so that's very very um, disturbing the way people can play with us right so not to digress uh, uh so when we when we talk about if we do not like somebody so uh, we call them out so hating on hate is not hate uh so when when india got its independence and the constitution came into force in 1950 the nehru government came with the first amendment uh, which actually curtailed the free speech of honest indian citizens and now these provisions of the constitution are being misused but uh, there is there's no way to stop it in a digital age because you have twitter you have instagram you have you have yeah. facebook in fact it's have, only in fact it's only escalated yeah you have multiple things so uh, one thing that we can learn is the more you curtail people from their rights the more people are going to misuse that so i think at the end of this discussion we have reached a certain consensus regarding respecting the other person's view or uh, maintaining that hate speech should not incite violence however we also need to go dig deeper because violence does not always mean literal physical violence which will lead one person to killing another violence can also be systemic violence can also be structural and language is essential in reproducing this form of violence and we also need to sort of take care of that uh, the person who brought up the issue of representation i think this is very important but it also depends on who is representing in the sense that if i'm telling a story of a dalit person struggle we need to make sure that we have more writers and directors who have lived that particular experience telling that story because then it Absolutely. becomes a form of case mm-hmm. wherein a person from a, a community that is um, more powerful for a, from a community that is present at the center looking at the margins in a particular way and that is how mm-hmm. it has happened all along and this is how we have come to have the prejudices that we have uh, just last point about the whole arab goswami issue and leading to a broader point from that I think it is important to hold people of power accountable. Uh, I think equating Swara Bhaskar and Kanaya Kumar to Arnab Goswami does not make sense because Arnab Goswami enjoys far more power than anybody else. Uh, Absolutely. In this particular discussion, and I think if the court of law and if the systems of judiciary do not allow us to hold them accountable due to whatever reason, then I think it is the civil society's responsibility to take certain measures to hold them accountable. I wouldn't say what measures, but they need to be taken to hold them accountable. Thank you. Sir. So see the problem is when we go on to say that we don't know what measures that we are going to give to civil society, but yes, let's give measures to civil society to take people accountable. Is actually not just a grey area, but insanely dangerous and reckless in terms of what power you're giving to people. Never give undefined terms of power to a group of people who can be prone, and not not a particular group of people, just people in general can be prone to reckless acts. So don't do that. Firstly and secondly, don't set a dangerous precedent. And when you say that you can't compare. 
Arnab Goswami just say Kanaya Kumar. Okay, fine, definitely. But you can definitely compare people who are even more powerful and hold seats in the Lok Sabha, like an Akbaruddin Owaisi who's done so before, like an Asaduddin Owaisi, and who has said far worse things in uh, black and white terms as com- as opposed to Arnab Goswami. But does that mean? that i have the rights to go and yell at him in his private bubble and call him names and abuse him and risk uh, an escalation from that point onwards and then um, deem that as a legal uh, standpoint i think that's not just dangerous that's going to even the next step and that's insane so that's the first thing where i disagree with one of my panelists and the second thing i want to say is that regardless of the fact that you disagree you have to have one thing in your head before you go on to do so is that am i disagreeing because i want to prove myself right or i want to make a point or am i disagreeing because i genuinely want something good to come of this the moment you realize that is actually very good point. the moment you realize that you're disagreeing to cause a sense of betterment or an improvement in even one person's mind or in society in general depending on what kind of power you hold then you will automatically go about doing it in a systematic and proper sensible respectful way and there is also a caveat to that is that when you're disagreeing against someone who is obviously um completely derogatory and disrespectful then definitely you don't have to uh, abide by that because that time you're not trying to uh, disagree with someone to improve them you're just trying to prevent further harm happening to society but then again there is a legal line there it's not because you believe that person is harming society or you believe that person holds more power than xyz but because that person factually is doing so and is not uh and does not have the rights to do so when the person does not have the rights to do so then i have the rights to go on and do that to an individual and that's yeah that's pretty much what i want to say and thank you genuinely to anonicast and all the organizers and definitely uh all the panelists who've taken out one hour of their sunday evening and i've spoken to all of us and it's genuinely great and would love to be a part of something like this again thank you so much so i think the point that you made was excellent and i would like to just add that at the end all of us can agree that the uncontrolled propaganda and hate crimes root cause is hate speech which again actually starts at a psychological level where people convince themselves to use it as a weapon of hatred to cause disruption and disturbance in the society which actually should not be done so that were my views to the topic and i had a great time discussing this topic with you all thank you so much for the opportunity thanks for having us thank you with this i feel that everybody has shared their views in a fairly uh, substantive manner thank you so much for listening do follow us on instagram to stay updated with our upcoming episodes unscripted unknown and uninterrupted thank you